I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. He's not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then, quickly, go and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead, and indeed, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. 
There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Hilaire. <laughs> So today for us, Easter is either everything or it's nothing at all. Today all of us is, all of this around us, all of us gathering together is either some kind of doomed attempt to overcome suffering and death with flowers and donuts and baby chicks and even a really great cello player. Or maybe, just maybe, it's a peek into a world completely changed by Jesus. If it's a peek into that world, then the way God changes the world isn't the conventional ways things are changed. It's not through laws, not through wars, not through power. It's through something way more dynamic than that but something even more irresistible, yet something more subversive, and yet it's infectious. Something like, perhaps, laughter. Have you ever noticed that animals do not laugh? The chicks we have here today, over there under that tent, are not some special kind of laughing chicks. They will not offer you that, I am sorry. They're not, they're not golden, golden chicks. Or maybe golden in color, some of them are, that's right. Sorry, if you at some point today at all hear Penny the pig bust out laughing back there, I invite you to stop me mid-sentence in my sermon and alert me of that. Have you ever noticed how animals do not laugh? Aristotle called us the laughing animal. Laughter opens up a joy that goes beyond all words. There's something divine in laughter that humanity is invited to share in while other living things are not invited into that. Laughing is participating in what God is infectiously, subversively, irresistibly doing all around us. And laughter, joyous, physically consuming, whole body laughter is at the very heart of who God is. And that's what we discover on Easter Day. I wonder, I wonder whether you have ever been so consumed by laughter that it even hurts a little bit. If you think about the words we use for hilarity, they're often very physical, very uncomfortable words. We talk about laughing our heads off, being convulsed by laughter, having hysterics, splitting our sides, we say, being creased up, doubling over, even 
dying laughing. There's no doubt laughing is a whole body experience like almost no other thing we can do. But there's more than one kind of laughter. One thing I discovered about myself as a pastor early on was that when I was worried or sad or embarrassed, particularly when I was embarrassed, I hate being embarrassed, when I feel like a fool, my first resort is often to, to try to be funny and, and make a joke of it. Needless to say, a lot of those attempts at humor fell on stony ground. And then, of course, I would feel more embarrassed by that. And eventually I realized that if I was going to be much of a pastor at all, I would have to get rid of that habit. After all, being a pastor means giving people the confidence that whether they're discovering the depths of despair or whether they're discovering sheer joy, whether they are coming face to face with God's truth in their lives or coming face to face with the terror of, of the emptiness of this world, that they can do it in the presence of someone like me who wouldn't be out of his or her depth. I realized my jokes were kind of this graveyard humor. What they were really indicating was that I was way out of my depth. There's a lot of different ways we use laughter as a defense like that. Some people laugh involuntarily every time they say anything at all. Do you know those people? Some people giggle nervously so that no one might ever see them as a threat. Other people have a stock of phrases they use to avoid conversation ever getting too serious. All of these are self-defense mechanisms de designed to prevent the conversation from becoming threatening or getting a little too close to the bone. Sometimes the defensive kind of laughter is necessary. It's amazing how much this laughter kind of rises up when we encounter dire poverty or oppression. In these situations, a sense of humor often means an ability to see the irony in it all or the incongruity in it all or the paradox in it all. And so realize that the world is just, it's laughable. When you look back on the times you've split your sides laughing, I wonder how many of those occasions were in fact during difficult times in your life when some, somehow the explosion of laughter within you was a gushing release of all that pent up frustration and disappointment and hurt. This kind of laughter is a defense, a kind of drug that prevents you from having to think about reality. And it's great but it's not real. Second kind of laughter isn't about defense. It's about attack. There's a lot of this kind of laughter in Jesus's crucifixion. The soldiers mock Jesus by putting a crown of thorns on his head. The chief priests mock Jesus by saying, you saved others, you can't save yourself. The passers-by mock Jesus by saying, you talked about destroying the temple, but you can't even get yourself down off a cross. Even the bandits crucified next to Jesus mock and taunt him. It's all this big laugh for them. Probably most humor 
is this kind of laugh. Laughing at other people. Whether it's the most basic slapstick humor or more sophisticated satirical cartoons and SNL clips, the purpose is all the same. We feel just a little bit better about ourselves and the world when we see the other guy is really pretty foolish and the release of tension and sense of reversal makes us laugh. And we feel bad about it when we, when we shouldn't need the reassurance when the person ridiculed is in a bad way and we realize our laughter is this kind of punishment willed by our small ego or our deep-seated cruelty maybe even. But when the other guy is famous or, or powerful, humor is often the best and, and most dynamic and most successful way of getting one up and getting one back. This is the laughter of revenge, of subversion, something, something that laughter pent up, hatred, deep-seated loathing, long-contained fear within us. Think about these two kinds of laughter for a moment. One is the laughter of defense, of denial, of distraction, of wishing reality were not so demanding and dangerous. And the other is the laughter of attack of the determination to have the last word, to make the other guy look small, to win the verbal war, to humiliate anyone who threatens your territory or cut the world down a little less than your size. The first says, life is too much for me. I want to hide. The other says, life is a war. And if I don't lash out, I'm just gonna get crushed in it. This is the world we live in. This is the world where half the time we're in denial and the other half of the time we're at war with one another. Half the time it's fight, half the time it's flight. This is the world at work. This is the world at home. This is the world of leisure. This is the world of nature. This is the world that Jesus came into. And what Jesus brought was this completely different kind of laughter. It's this infectious laughter. It's like, it's like the laughter of a tiny baby. It's like the laughter of a woman finding a quarter and going nuts over it. It's like the laughter of a blind man who begins to see for the first time and starts to finally be able to differentiate between the trees and the human beings around him. It's like the, la the laughter of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, trying to get all the death bandages off and he's peeling them off and it's like you're unraveling a tangerine. It it's like the laughter that doesn't humiliate or dominate, a laughter that doesn't deflect or deny, a laughter that's, that's more infectious than disease, more irresistible than an army, more subversive than any rebel movement could ever be, a laughter that looks into the heart of God and smiles uncontrollably. Two days after the greatest catastrophe there has ever been or will ever be, the betrayal and execution of the Lord of glory. Here we are, laughing, infectiously, uncontrollably, in a way that diminishes no one, that, that denies nothing, 
that leaves no one out and understands all things. The Easter mystery contains some of the most baffling words in the whole Christian tradition. The ancient Catholic mass of the day includes these words. It says, oh happy fault, oh necessary sin of Adam that won for us so great a salvation. Oh happy fault? It seems an insult to laugh in the face of the world's history of sin and suffering. It seems inappropriate, like you're sitting in the back of a comedy club you wish no one knew you were attending. It's, it, it feels inappropriate in some ways to celebrate Jesus' resurrection today when so much of God's world lies on the cross and in the tomb. But see how gripped we are by those two rival versions of laughter. Laughter on one hand as denial of reality and laughter on the other hand as mockery and revenge. And imagine a very different kind of laughter. Imagine a laughter that can't be contained. It's a laughter that shakes the whole body, that splits your aching sides that takes the head off of your grief, that makes you rock down deep inside. And it's not just for you, and it's not just you who's laughing. It's everybody. It's everything. The whole earth is consumed with laughter, rocking and convulsing and aching with joy. The worst that humanity can do in denial and destruction has been met with irresistible laughter that tells this greater story and imagines a bigger world and laughs in tune with the laughter of God. Way back at the start of the Bible, Sarah laughed when she was told she would have a baby. Her laughter was part defensive and part mocking, but Abraham and Sarah had a son, and that son stands at the head of all God's people. Abraham took his son to Mount Moriah, making defensive answers the whole time when his son asked, why dad, why? And finally, in an aggressive fashion, picking up a knife to slay his own son, God intervenes and says, enough. And Abraham's son lives and became the source of life, it says, to all God's people. And if that son had not lived, there would have been no Bible, no people of God. And Christians since earliest days have seen the story of Abraham and his son as the story of Good Friday and Easter. Because God's son and his new life after sacrifice becomes God's source of life to all people. And the name, the name of Abraham's son, the name of Abraham's son was Isaac, which means laughter. Jesus said, blessed are you who weep and mourn for one day you will laugh. When I hear laughter, I think of my own Sarah. 
at the very first church I had the privilege of serving in, I visited every Thursday with Sarah. And the one thing you just learned quickly about Sarah was, gosh, her laugh just took up the whole room. It was this deep belly kind of laugh and it just was infectious. And sometimes she laughed at things that I don't know why you laugh at that, but you started laughing with her because she was funny to laugh at. Her laugh just took over the entire room and it was this fountain of joy. It was infectious, irresistible, thrilling. But as my relationship with Sarah grew on, that coruscating laughter would started to be abruptly curtailed by blood-wrenching coughs. Coughs of chest pains and asthma that eventually killed her. And so for me, I, I almost always half expect laughter to be interrupted by the cough of death. I find myself looking around for the shadow of Good Friday but not today. Today I can, I can hear Sarah laughing again. And the laughing never stops. Today it's so infectious that the whole world begins to join in and is reverberating with her, laughing with God and with one another, laughing with the creation coming alive again, one great tidal wave of joy. Two days ago, we wept and we mourned. One day, we are told we will laugh. Today, that day for laughing has come. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you join me in a time of prayer today? Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of laughter that is at the heart of your story and how you invite us in even, even standing before your tomb to laugh at sin and death and, and oppression and depression and, and divorce and cancer to laugh in the face of it because we know, we know, God, that today is that glimpse at that one day when we will laugh forever. Thank you, God, for, for coming to be among us, to stand in community with us and hear our jokes and laugh along with us, to be in community with us when we have laughed in defense to protect ourselves and in community with us when we have laughed at other people and mocked them. For going all the way to the cross as we took that laughter and turned it on you and made mockery of you. Thank you, God, for choosing death, that cough of death that springs forth new life in this infectious laughter 
that just breaks out into all the world. God, we pray specifically today for those people in our lives who have not laughed in a very long time. Perhaps it's because of grief or loneliness or poverty or just this sense of hopelessness and depression they can't shake. God, we put faith and hope that one day they will laugh. And we join together in that prayer that you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Table.